Once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, retired professional wrestler Henry Huge Pex, the suplex throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com, subscribing on iTunes, subscribing on Stitcher, or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. Basically, any possible form of interacting with us, you should do it. Telegram, flag semaphore, carrier pigeon, whatever you prefer. Looking at the most recent statistics, we have listeners all over the world, with the farthest ones being in Durban, South Africa, more than 8,000 miles away. Clearly, our fans span the globe. And on that note, I must give a quick shout out to Mr. Dixon St. Clair from a website called Wrestling in the Clinton Years. I had heard him on a competing wrestling recap podcast and really liked his insight, so I followed him on Twitter. He was nice enough to retweet my link to episode four, and we started chatting a bit from there. Really nice guy, and I think of him kind of as a kindred spirit since we're both writing obscene amounts of content on wrestling. The only difference is that my weekly 6,000 words and 10 pages in Microsoft Word go entirely into podcast form, while his are actually up for you to read. Imagine that on bunnysuicida.tumblr.com. He also does pop song reviews for unappreciatedscholars.com. All great stuff from a great writer. So please look him up. Give him a follow at bunnysuicida on Twitter as well. B-U-N-N-Y and suicida is S-U-I-C-I-D-A. Definitely be sure to do that. And on a related note, as I mentioned last week, I plan to bring on some fellow wrestling podcasters for future episodes, and I don't want to jinx it, but I think there will be a guest co-host for episode 7. No promises yet, but stay tuned next week because this particular person has some really interesting side projects, which we can delve into a little bit on the show. Alright, but as for this week, it's January 26th, 1998, and we are pre-taped six days prior from the University of California Davis Fieldhouse, so Raw is once again taking place on a college campus, having just been Penn State University two weeks ago. We open with a recap of last week's shenanigans between Mike Tyson and Steve Austin. Kevin Kelly narrates and tells us that Tyson no longer wants to be the special guest referee at WrestleMania 14. He wants to fight Austin instead. Boxing versus wrestling, eh? I wonder if this angle is what gave them the idea to do the brawl for all. P.S. I can't wait until that starts up in the summer of 98, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. We open with Mark Henry, accompanied by The Rock, Farouk, D'Lo Brown, and Kama Mustafa, taking on Ken Shamrock, accompanied by Ahmed Johnson and the Disciples of Apocalypse. In our sign of the times, moment of the night, Jim Ross makes reference to nation leader Farouk not having as many problems as the leader of our nation, Bill Clinton, as news of the Monica Lewinsky affair had just broken five days prior. Speaking of the aforementioned Clinton years, certainly this is a time Slick Willie would definitely like to forget. In fact, let's play some audio of one of Bill Clinton's conversations with Monica. Hmm. Let's get ready to suck up! Sorry, couldn't resist. Anyway, this match is billed as being the world's strongest man versus the world's most dangerous man, both of which are inaccurate. You may recall these two men were tag partners two weeks ago, but Henry swerved Kenny and joined the Nation of Domination, so Shamrock is out for revenge. Apparently, at this point in time, Henry only knew two moves because he kept repeating the backbreaker and everyone's favorite talentless big man rest hold, the bear hug. 
I will point out that when Shamrock mounts his comeback and knocks Henry off his feet with some kicks, the crowd pops huge for him. He then hits Henry with an impressive-looking belly-to-belly suplex and gets another huge reaction. However, any loyal listener of this podcast probably knows what's coming next. Say it with me, Raw Attitude fans. A disqualification. You got it. Once Shamrock hits the suplex, The Rock runs into the ring, followed by the entire nation, followed by Ahmed and the DOA, and it turns into a massive brawl. The good guys clear the nation out of the ring, and we are then told there will be a five-on-five match between these two teams at the upcoming No Way Out of Texas pay-per-view on February 15th. No Way Out of Texas is, of course, the polar opposite of Donald Trump's immigration policy, which is No Way Into Texas. Gotta build that wall. Next up, we get a lengthy video recap of the Undertaker-Kane feud, including a slowed-down clip of Paul Bearer calling Taker a murderer so it sounds more sinister. Murderer! The montage took up more than five minutes of TV time, which just goes to show you the caliber of show you were getting when they pre-taped these episodes six days in advance. Next up, we have Jeff Jarrett and Barry Windham with Jim Cornette and the Rock and Roll Express taking on the Legion of Doom. They show a pre-recorded backstage promo where a now mustacheless Barry Windham says he got tired of having, quote, Yosemite Sam as a tag partner, meaning Bradshaw, and it's time to bring real wrestling to the WWF. Good luck with that. This was a pretty dull match, which ended when Cornette tossed his tennis racket to Wyndham, who clobbered Animal with it behind the referee's back. Wyndham then covered Animal, who kicked out at two, but the referee counted to three anyway. Somebody botched that ending, and I'm pretty sure it was Animal. The Legion of Doom. No selling, even during the pinfall. I have nothing else to add about this segment, so here's a clip from Sonny's sex tape. Sonny? Yeah? Respond to me, Animal's pants? I don't know, babe. Where's Fondle Me Elmo's penis? Sorry, sorry, that was the sex tape she did with Fondle Me Elmo on Shotgun Saturday Night back in 1997. Yes, that was a real thing. If you want the new tape, you'll probably have to pay for it. Backstage, we see DX in the locker room. Triple H randomly takes his pants off as Sean and China hold up the WWF title and European title to cover his wang, but then he turns around and we can clearly see that Hunter has a thong tan line. Ah, the biggest downside of being part of an occupation where you have to constantly visit the tanning booth. Next up, we get a recap of the Tyson-Austin confrontation from last week, which takes up two and a half minutes of TV time. Apparently, tonight's episode of Raw is a clip show, and no one informed me. We go backstage with DX again, where Triple H is wearing only his European title and a towel as China tapes up his injured knee. Hunter winces in pain as she wraps it up, but he says he can beat Owen Hart even at 50%. Sean says that Steve Austin was disrespectful to Mike Tyson last week, so he thinks it's only right that he give up his WWF title match at WrestleMania so that Austin can fight Tyson instead. Hunter then says he likes the idea, but Sean has to be involved in WrestleMania in some capacity because he's the icon, the showstopper, the main event, etc. Sean then opens his coat and we see that he's wearing a referee's shirt, so he suggests he should be the special guest referee for the match between Tyson and Austin. Apparently this episode of Raw is dedicated to presenting a blockbuster match between Mike Tyson and Steve Austin, which we know will never happen. Next up, the artist formerly known as Goldust with Luna Vachon versus Vader. Goldust is dressed like Vader, and both he and Luna have Vader masks painted on their faces. This is a rematch from last week's Royal Rumble where Vader squashed Goldust with a Vader bomb while Luna was on his shoulders. Seriously, go check out that spot. It's pretty awesome. And speaking of Vader bombs, Vader once again hits that move on Goldust, but this time the lights go out as soon as he does so, and out come Kane and Paul Bearer. Kane goes face-to-face with Vader, but Vader actually gets the better of the exchange. He picks up Kane for a pile driver, but instead of falling backward like we typically see with pile drivers, Vader falls forward instead, seemingly dropping Kane on his head. I have to assume that was an accident. 
Goldust then tries to sneak back in and ambush Vader, but Vader easily dispatches him. However, during the distraction, Kane does the Undertaker's signature Jason Voorhees sit-up, and he then proceeds to pick up Vader and hit him with a tombstone. Okay, that was pretty impressive. Even though there was no official announcement, I have to assume this match has also resulted in a disqualification, making us two for three on DQ finishes so far tonight. At this point, I'm amazed that Dairy Queen wasn't one of their sponsors, because they could just have every DQ sponsored by DQ. I mean, that's just common sense. We cut to footage from earlier today where Mick Foley and Terry Funk, both dressed in street clothes, are sitting in the ring and having a chat, and Jim Ross tells us that the microphones enabled us to pick up on their conversation, which seems like a breach of trust, but whatever. Basically, they just gently mock each other, so the segment was completely pointless, just like the entire first hour of this show. I have nothing else to add about this segment, so here's a clip of wrestling legend Stan Hansen mocking some guy's teeny wieners from the movie No Holds Barred, but delivering his line in such a manner that it sounds like he's incredibly turned on by small penises. What do we got here? A teeny one. And here's another. Up next, we have WWF Tag Team Champions The New Age Outlaws versus Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie. Billy and Road Dog are both wearing catcher's gear, presumably because Foley and Funk have the reputation of being dangerous or something. It led to an amusing spot where Cactus gave Road Dog a low blow, but James no-sold it because he was wearing a cup. So later in the match, Cactus physically reached into Road Dog's pants, pulled out the cup, and then kicked him in the balls. Now that's strategy. Eventually, Chainsaw Charlie just started throwing chairs in the ring for no reason. Cactus then took one of the chairs and did his trademark dive off the apron onto Billy Gunn. Of course, it was right in front of the referee, so that means this match ends in... a disqualification. Yep, that means three out of four of tonight's matches have now ended via DQ. Fuck. You. Russo. After the match, we get a nice-looking spot where Cactus covers Road Dog in chairs, and Chainsaw then hits James with a moonsault off the top rope. Chainsaw apparently hurts himself doing the spot as he then proceeds to roll around on the ground like Curly from the Three Stooges, but I'm sure he'll be fine. Besides, even if the injury forced him to retire, he'd just be wrestling again in three months anyway. Next up, we get yet another video montage, this time a highlight package for WWF Light Heavyweight Champion Taka Michinoku. Amusingly, they do a Star Wars-esque scroll, which says, From a land far, far away, and then in parentheses it just says, Japan. Thanks for clarifying that. Kevin Kelly also goes on to say, Competition has not been his only opposition. He's also battled the language barrier. Why it was necessary to point that out, I have no idea, but there you have it. This montage certainly got me amped up to see a Taka Michinoku match, which means he's going to be on the show tonight, right? Nope. Instead, this segues us to the Honky Tonk Man, who is the special guest ring announcer for the first match, which will determine the number one contender for Taka's light heavyweight championship at No Way Out of Texas, Brian Christopher versus Pantera. In this case, Pantera is not a heavy metal band, but rather a wrestler whose outfit consists of the following. A mask with cat ears, cat eyes on his chest, and for some reason, zebra pattern all over his clothes, despite the fact that he's named after a large feline. The match ends when Christopher goes for his top rope leg drop finisher, but Panther Zebra moves and rolls him up in a monstral cradle to surprisingly pick up the three count. While in commentary, Jerry Lawler had said he would shake the hand of the winner after the match, so he heads into the ring to honor his promise. Lawler extends his hand to Pantera, but, as you might expect... The king punches him in the face instead. Apparently, neither panthers nor zebras are intelligent creatures. I have nothing else to add about this segment, so here's a clip from Michael Cole describing the most painful injury of the king's career. Well, I've got some new medical information on Jerry the King Lawler that just came in a few moments ago. We understand that Jerry Lawler has bruised ribs, and, well, uh, with all due respect, he's also suffering from, from anal bleeding. What? Wow. 
Jim Ross then interviews Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie, who are standing backstage. They get interrupted by DX, who mockingly refer to them as hardcore legends, and the New Age Outlaws then jump them from behind. DX and the Outlaws then smash Cactus and Funk with every conceivable object they can find until backstage officials break things up. We are then told that DX and the Outlaws will face the team of Steve Austin, Owen Hart, Cactus Jack, and Chainsaw Charlie at No Way Out of Texas. So that means that pay-per-view now has a 4-on-4 match booked, as well as a 5-on-5 match, so let's just call it what it is, Survivor Series 2, The Re-Survivor. Our next match is the Headbangers taking on the Quebecers. This was basically a nothing match. It ended when Jacques picked Mosh up to seemingly give him an Alabama slam, but Mosh reversed it into a sunset flip and scored the three count over the Mountie. After the match, the Quebecers jumped the Headbangers from behind because no one can ever just lose a match and leave. Jacques then does hit the Alabama slam on Mosh, and then he rolls him over into a Boston Crab while Pierre comes off the second rope and hits a leg drop to the back of Mosh's head. I have nothing else to add about this segment, so here's a clip of Vince McMahon telling the world what will happen to The Undertaker if he doesn't beat Shane McMahon at WrestleMania 32. You see, this is what's going to happen. Terrorists are going to burn down The Undertaker's house. Yeah. His children are going to be kidnapped. His wife, she's going to be raped by a motorcycle gang right in front of The Undertaker. That's the plan I want implemented, damn it. Next up, we have a WWF European title match, champion Triple H versus Owen Hart. Well... Not quite Triple H. It's actually the artist formerly known as Goldust dressed as Triple H, complete with a giant fake nose. He's accompanied by Luna, who is dressed as China and holding the European title. Funny enough, about one year from now on an episode of Raw, Triple H will actually dress as Goldust and ambush Kane, but I don't want to spoil too much there. You can find it on YouTube. Anyway, Owen looks toward the entrance ramp to see if the real Triple H will come out, but instead Hunter Dust jumps him from behind, and they ring the bell, so I guess we have a match. Staying true to the character, Goldust went for the pedigree, but instead Owen reversed it, knocked him down, and put him in the sharpshooter for the submission victory. Immediately after the match, DX appeared on the Titan Tron and mocked Owen, saying he was a loser and they're always one step ahead of him. While they were taunting him, Commissioner Slaughter emerged from backstage. He said Goldust did such a convincing job pretending to be Triple H that he is awarding the European title to Owen Hart. DX flips out as Owen celebrates in the ring with the belt. Is this the first and only instance of someone losing a title because they had a proxy fight for them? I'm going to assume it probably is, but feel free to write to rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com to correct me if I'm wrong and you have nothing better to do with your lives. We then kill another five minutes worth of TV time by recapping the Tyson-Austin confrontation from last week. This was yet another colossal waste of time, and the only silver lining was that they did a pan of the crowd afterward, and one fan could clearly be seen holding up a sign which just said, Cock. An apt summation, to be sure. We now go to a terrible pre-taped segment with Mike Tyson's promoter, Don King, who constantly has to keep stopping in the middle of talking, seemingly because he's trying to think of the right word. I guess no one told him that modern technology allows you to do more than one take of a recording. The basic gist is that Tyson wants to fight Austin, but they do not want to violate the Nevada Boxing Commission's ruling that Tyson is not allowed to fight, so he and Vince McMahon will come up with a way of getting both men in the ring together in some capacity at WrestleMania 14. So call your local cable provider and order it now, because something may or may not happen between Tyson and Austin on March 29th. Now, funny enough, when they were doing that video montage a few minutes ago, they kept showing various news mediums covering the Tyson-Austin brawl, including showing several newspaper articles. One of the articles was from the USA Today, and the headline clearly said, quote, Nevada Commission says Tyson can wrestle. So why is Don King saying the commission does not want him to wrestle? Well, I searched for that article on USA Today's website, but then I found out that they charge $4.95 for old issues, so fuck them. But then I found a similar article from the New York Daily News written by Michael Katz on January 21st, 1998. It says, and I quote, 
Wrestling is not a sport, at least not according to the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Thus, heavyweight Mike Tyson will be allowed to accept the challenge issued Monday night by Stone Cold Steve Austin, even in the state that revoked the boxer's license for biting Evander Holyfield's ears in a championship bout June 28th, the executive director of the Nevada State Athletic Commission said Tuesday. We license wrestling not as a sport, but as an entertainment, Mark Ratner said. Ratner said that Tyson would not be prevented from getting a wrestling license in Nevada just because he lost his boxing license July 9th after twice biting Holyfield's ears. We can't tell him he can't wrestle, Ratner said. We cannot tell someone what he can or cannot do. However, Ratner would not say how wrestling would affect the commission vote when Tyson, as expected, applies to have his boxing license reinstated in July. Five individual commissioners, not the executive director, will decide. A Las Vegas Review Journal poll of the commissioners indicated only one said wrestling might, quote, hurt Tyson's chances. Luther Mack said, I don't think it is a good idea. I think there should be nothing in sports at all. So there you have it. Tyson can wrestle, but one commissioner thinks it would potentially be a bad idea, so it seems like Tyson and Don King are hedging their bets a little bit because Tyson ultimately wants to return to boxing, which, spoiler alert, he eventually does. However, we're not done with Raw just yet as Stone Cold Steve Austin heads to the ring and grabs a mic. Austin says Tyson pushed him in front of the world last week, and for that, he's going to get some payback. Austin says he'll whip Tyson's ass anytime and anywhere, and he amusingly says he'll knock the gold tooth out of Tyson's mouth and turn it into a necklace. Austin then wraps it up by challenging Tyson to come to No Way Out of Texas on February 15th, where he will knock his ass out because Stone Cold says so. And with that, we go off the air to conclude one of the least eventful episodes of Raw, possibly ever, which is especially disappointing considering the huge angle they just delivered last week. Aside from the European title change, you could have easily skipped this episode entirely and watched next week's Raw without having missed a thing. And now, mercifully, let's wrap this baby up. Yo, I slayed MCs back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. A freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been thugging. Vinny Paz got more hoes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas, out of my fucking mind. They won't let me back in. Cause I was down before the heights like Dusty Rose and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now I'm rocking Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster plucking. Chickens when they plucking. Cause WWF stands for women where we fucking. The Ratings Recap Last week, the Mike Tyson appearance jumped Raw's rating up to a 4.0 for the first time in the history of the program going head-to-head with Nitro. This week, however, Raw went back down to a 3.5, while Nitro bumped up from a 4.5 to a 4.7, another decisive victory for WCW. And here's what you could have been watching on Nitro instead of this god-awful episode of Raw. Ultimo Dragon defeated El Dandy, and since it's the first time I've mentioned him on the podcast, I am obligated to play that classic Bret Hart soundbite. You know, I've I've been sizing up guys since I came to WCW, and I think the one guy that stands out the most, the guy that I think has earned a title shot, El Dandy, I think you're a heck of a wrestler, you're a great technician in the ring, and you're a jam-up guy. I don't see any reason... Wait a minute. El Dandy has been wrestling in in, in the cruiserweight division here, please. He's a great wrestler. He's a great wrestler, but my goodness sakes, it's 50 pounds different. Who are you to, to, to doubt El Dandy? Goldberg defeated Brad Armstrong. Conan defeated Jerry Flynn, Buff Bagwell defeated Rick Steiner, Jim Neidhart defeated Wayne Bloom. Side note, on the November 24th episode of Raw a few weeks after the screw job, DX tricked Neidhart into joining the group, then China gave him a ball shot and they beat him up. One week later, Neidhart fought Triple H on Raw and lost, and HBK then proceeded to spray paint the letters WCW on his back. Sure enough, Jim Neidhart is now in WCW. Prophecy fulfilled. Psychosis defeated Chavo Guerrero, Juventud Guerrero defeated Luis Spicoli, Raven defeated Mortis, 
Diamond Dallas Page retained his U.S. title against Wrath. Booker T retained his world television title against Perry Saturn. The British Bulldog defeated Steve Mongo McMichael. Yes, Davy Boy Smith has now also jumped ship to WCW in the wake of the Montreal Screwjob. Ray Trailer defeated Kevin Nash, and Lex Luger defeated Scott Hall. Sounds like an alright card, but much like the WWF, five of their 13 matches ended via disqualification, so WCW are pretty bad offenders in that regard as well. However, there's no way Nitro could have been worse than Raw tonight, so let's just say that their ratings victory was justified. The Raw Synopsis an absolutely forgettable show, which I would recommend you avoid almost entirely. If you want to watch the Owen-Hunter-Dust match and subsequent fallout, purely because it results in Owen becoming only the fourth ever European champion, go right ahead, but everything else can be skipped entirely. A very disappointing show, especially since we just had the Tyson-Austin brawl the week before. Funny enough, this actually reminds me of Raw in 2016, where Shane McMahon returned and Buzz began to build, and then the next week he wasn't even on the show and it was a complete snooze fest. What's that old saying about being doomed by history repeating itself? I'm sure Vince doesn't care. On the plus side, I can tell you that a major angle happens on next week's episode of Raw, and it actually takes up a majority of the show, so definitely tune in next week for that because there's another very famous Attitude Era moment coming up on the horizon. As always, thanks for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Send us a message at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at rawattitudepod. I have nothing further to add about this episode, so I leave you now with the clip of that time when Vince McMahon dropped in on a rally for the man who will soon become the President of the United States. See you next time. You might have some support from this audience, but 95% of them are idiots. (laughs) To me, they look like a very smart group of people.